Would you open God's precious holy word to Numbers chapter 5? In the original text, the word that we would probably translate most of the time as defiled or defilement is used several times here in this chapter. And we put... uh, we put this chapter in perspective so that as we can continue in these instructions from Yahweh, we can see how everything fits in here. We call the book, the book of numbers. It's a book of counting men starting with those men between what, 20 and 50, uh, to go to battle. So they're numbering their army. They're getting ready. Yahweh through Moses is preparing his people for the war that they're going to face headed out from the encampment just outside uh, Egypt and, and at the base of the mountain where the law was received to really begin their journey toward Canaan, promised land. So they build their army. Their army is set. They arrange the tribes, tabernacles in the middle. So the reminder then continues, actually not just the reminder, the command, that they're not only a people who are expected to go to war because they're God's people and the world's against them, but they're also expected to maintain worship. A people of war, a people of worship. Those two primary principles will be seen as foremost initially as they begin. So they are counted and prepared for war. They are arranged administratively following along in the first couple, three chapters so that the people know who who the people who are in charge, they know the organizational chart, if you will. Then they're organized in the temple, or I'm sorry, in the tabernacle, and every family of the Levites knows what their particular jobs are. So there's no misunderstanding their obligations and responsibilities. It moves on now. These are God's people in the midst of other people. God's elect nation in the middle of nations. Gentiles. Already we saw when we studied Leviticus how they are separated and sanctified to God. Some things they can't eat. Some Practices they can't practice. There's some things they can't do. It's all in the law. And there are various ideas as to why certain of the laws are placed on Israel. But the bottom line is the law is there to show the world that these are God's people and they are different from the rest of the world. On into Leviticus, it talks about the cultural and social practices that were abominations to Yahweh 
And it sounds like when you look at that in the book of Leviticus that it's, these are practices that Israel was not that familiar with. And Yahweh says, you're going to face this when you get to Canaan. And what they're doing there, he mentioned all these perverse activities. You are my people and you, you, not, you do not do these things because that's an abomination to me. Now, with all of those regulations, the instructions continue now. So we're, we're numbered and organized for war. We're organized administratively. We're organized and we understand the methodology of worship and the responsibilities of the various, tri uh, the various families of, uh, of the Levites, the importance and the job of the high priest and his sons, and where everybody is positioned as they're about to begin their march so everybody knows where he's supposed to be. There's no misunderstanding these things. What about the activity within the camp? Important lessons here for the Israelites. And I think more than anything, we need to understand the principles that Yahweh is establishing uh, for his people. They are different than the rest of the world. And uh, they're to be presented to the world as a people of cleanness. And as a people of cleanness, they necessarily, according to their law, separate themselves from uncleanness, certain things that are deemed unclean by Yahweh through the law. So the first defilement that has to have attention paid to it is physical defilement. So we look at it here, cleansing the camps. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, command the sons of Israel to banish from the camp all of those afflicted with leprosy or with a male discharge and all of those unclean through contact with the dead. Now this is a, this is a fresh start. I mean, this is the start. It's, an, it's the inauguration of the trip to the promised land. Everything's going to start right. Everything's going to be organized properly and correctly. And the people are going to have to understand the rules that are in place for their personal lives. Naturally, it's a bad idea for uncleanness to be, an, to be acceptable within the practices of normal Israelite behavior. So these things are mentioned again, and details of these are back in the law, but it's to be sure that everybody now straightens up and that, uh, and that everything is done according to the command of Yahweh through Moses. Both male and female, you shall banish. You shall send them outside the camp, they, and they not defile their camps in which I dwell among them. That's an important statement. The lesson is that Yahweh demands separation and cleanness from his people. Now, of course, a lot of this is representative of sin, and that's taught to us later in, uh, later in uh, the Bible, especially in the New Testament. But that which illustrates 
sin, that which illustrates uncleanness, since Yahweh is in their midst, Yahweh cannot tolerate the presence of uncleanness because he says, I dwell among you. The presence of God, the pillar of fire, the tabernacle, the holy of holies, the ark of the covenant. The sons of Israel did so. They sent them outside the camp as Yahweh had spoken to Moses. So did the children of Israel do. All right, so this is uh, something that occurs at the outset. You go back and read the Levitical code. There are ways for people to be restored into the camp when certain criteria are met, they can come back in. But beginning right here, let's, you know, let's draw the line and wherever there is uncleanness, let's set it outside the camp. And so that's what they did. Went all the way through all of the tribes and families of Israel. Now, not only is there physical defilement, but there also could be Social defilement. That is, people are not square with each other. Somebody has wronged another one. And not going to leave any debts unpaid, not going to leave any matters unresolved at the beginning and at the outset of this movement from where they are toward the land of Canaan. So this second defilement that is to be dealt with is, is social defilement. And here Yahweh brings to their attention the need for restitution regarding the trespasses between one another. Yahweh then spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel, when a man or woman commits any of the sins against man to act treacherously against Yahweh, and that person is found guilty now you understand if you sin, you act against Yahweh. So you don't offer a sacrifice to the person against whom you sinned. You offer a sacrifice to Yahweh. And that person is found guilty. They shall confess the sin they committed and make restitution for the principal amount of his guilt. Add a fifth, add 20% to it. And give it to the one against whom he was guilty. So whatever the trespass, whatever the offense, before they start off, settlement of the offense, of the debt, whatever, plus 20% penalty, interest. These are required uh, by the one who is guilty. So he, he pays off, he pays off the person who has been offended. But if the man has no kinsman to whom he make rest, restitution, the debt which is restored to Yahweh is to be given to the priest. And this is besides the atonement ram through which expiation is made for him. Every offering of all the sons of Israel's holy things, which is brought to the priest shall be his Everyone's holy things shall belong to him. Whatever a man gives to the priest shall be his. Okay. There is a participation 
in certain offerings that are given. We, I hope you remember this from Leviticus. There are certain offerings that could be shared between Yahweh and the priest and certain that could be shared, for example, for example, the fellowship meal would be shared between family and priest in the presence of Yahweh. So the instruction here is given that this kind of thing falls within those rules and that everyone is included with regard to the rules of, uh, of required restitution. Uh, no one is exempt from this and it's an opportunity then also to build a, a kind of fellowship. If you go back to the Levitical code uh, of, of presence or a fellowship offering that is made. So in some cases, the priest gets part of it. In some cases, the sons of Israel can participate. And in some cases, if we go back to Leviticus, the priest and certain families of the sons of Israel uh, can participate as well. But this is a reminder of, of how this is to be shared and that everyone should feel like they can be a part of this. Now, when you look at this and you go back, let's go back a slide here. They shall confess the sin they committed. So this is kind of a public thing. And when the public is brought into it, then what is expected is once the restitution is made, there is, there is personal restoration. There is restoration of fellowship. Um, the priest, of course, who is the representative of Yahweh, and then the people of Israel. In other words, when, when what is required is performed, then, then this should settle the matters, the, whatever the matters may be, in the eyes of everyone. And in certain ways, everyone can participate in, in what's going on so that when the whole thing is done, no one can whisper or say anything about someone's debt or obligation or offense uh, that will have been committed against another. So it's, it's, a, it's a public thing. And, re and restitution is made. The final and the lengthiest one is the defilement of marriage. Yahweh, for the third set, for the third address here, Yahweh. Number one, has explained the importance of physical cleanness. Number two, the importance of social cleanness. And number three, the importance of marital cleanness. So I call this trial by ordeal. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, should any man's wife go astray and deal treacherously with him and a man lie with her carnally, but it was hidden from her husband's eyes, but she was secluded with the suspected adulterer and there was no witness against her and she was not seized, but a spirit of jealousy had come upon him and he became jealous of his wife 
and she was defiled or a spirit of jealousy had come upon him and he was jealous of his wife and she was not defiled. Well, what you going to do? Yahweh has a plan. Then the man shall bring his wife to the priest and bring her offering for her, one-tenth of an ephah of barley flour. He shall neither pour oil over it nor put frankincense on it, for it's a meal offering of jealousies. <laughs> wow. I wonder how busy the priests were kept for jealousy. A meal offering of remembrance, recalling iniquity. Now, when you read this, you're going to say, well, you know, what about, the, what about the man? He's over here. Nobody said anything about the man. Look, here's the bottom line. Before all of Israel, through the proclamation and the declaration of Moses, who receives the word from Yahweh, the sanctity of marriage is defiled. Now, these things are mentioned here. I'd have to think a long time and go back and, and read. But I can't, I can't recall... On their trip, or on their failed trip, and they're wandering in the wilderness, I can't recall that any any of this is really brought before the priesthood or before Moses. These are these are very public things that, if discovered, would declare very embarrassing to say the least situations so the whole camp is put on notice that uh, you, you can't hide unclean people you'll be in trouble it'll it'll spread to all of us you can't refuse to deal with your debts and the offenses that you've committed against other Israelites and you can't fool around so that's, that's basically what, what is being said and declared to the whole camp. Here's the rest of the instruction. After he brings all of this, the meal offering of remembrance, a meal offering of jealousies, the priest shall bring her forth and present her before Yahweh. The priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel and some earth from the tabernacle floor. And the priest shall take and put that dirt into the water. Then the priest shall stand the woman up before Yahweh and expose the hair on the head of the woman. He shall place into her hands the remembrance meal offering, which is a meal offering of jealousies, while the bitter curse bearing water, while the bitter curse bearing waters, I should have put a dash there, are in the priest's hand. Okay, so you have this bitter curse bearing water and then of course there's the meal offering of jealousies the priest shall then place her under oath and say to the woman if no man has lain with you and you've not gone astray to become defiled to another in the place of your husband then you'll be absolved through these bitter waters which cause the curse now you understand this if the husband is just jealous and he gets it wrong, he looks like a fool. And uh, his life is not going to be that easy either. But as for you, if you have gone astray to another instead of your husband and have become defiled and another man besides your husband has lain with you, 
The priest shall now adjure the woman with the oath of the curse. And the priest shall say to the woman, May Yahweh make you for a curse and an oath among your people when Yahweh causes your thigh to rupture and your belly to swell. Well, the thigh, that's a generic kind of a Hebrew word that's also used for the womb. So she'll have problems. If, uh, if in taking this oath, she is indeed guilty. Notice what it says. This is not something between the woman and her husband. This is not something between the woman and the priest. This is something between the woman and Yahweh. Yahweh causes your thigh to rupture and your belly to swell. For these curse-bearing waters shall enter your innards, your inward parts, causing the belly to swell and the thigh to rupture. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. So when she takes this, she is agreeing. I'll take this curse-bearing bitter water, participate in this offering of jealousies and what it means is she's just saying, she's just saying, let, it, let, her, let her go. Let it, let it be. Go ahead. Give me the water. Then the priest shall write these curses on a scroll and erase it in the bitter water. So whatever, whatever he uses to write, I don't know if it would be ink back then or whatever, but it would also be put into the water. It would add to the bitterness of the water. The priest shall take the meal offering of jealousies from the woman's hand, wave the meal offering before Yahweh, and bring it to the altar. The priest shall scoop out from the meal offering its reminder and burn it upon the altar, and then he shall give the woman the water to drink. He shall make her drink the water, and it shall be that if she had been defiled and was unfaithful to her husband, the curse-bearing waters shall enter her to become bitter. Her belly will swell, her thigh will rupture, and the woman will be a curse among her people. Now, be, thus being a curse, uh, she's, she's not able to, to bear children, really, uh, from this point. And she's also separated from everybody because she has been made a curse, a cursed woman. But if the woman had not become defiled and she is clean, and shall, she shall be exempted and she shall, she shall then bear seed, she'll have children. And this is the law of jealousies when a woman goes astray to someone other than her husband and is defiled. Or if a spirit of uh, jealousy comes over a man and he's jealous of his wife and he presents the woman before Yahweh and the priest shall do to her all of this law. The man shall be absolved of iniquity and the woman shall bear her iniquity. So the accuser is absolved. Now you'll ask the I asked the question. You can ask the question. What, what about the guy that she had the affair with? Doesn't say. God knows where he is, but 
I think the greater point here is on all three of these things, the people of Yahweh have to understand that they can't run from sin. They can't run from physical uncleanness. They can't run from social uncleanness and they can't run from marital uncleanness. They will be discovered. And in that discovery, in the case of all three of these, they will be put on public display. And the people will understand. So you see, this is a, a deterrence as much as anything else. Who, uh, who, who, wants to, who wants to even take the chance that you can hide physical uncleanness or an offense committed against another Israelite or marital infidelity? Who wants to take the chance that that could be uh, hidden from Yahweh. You're just not going to hide things from Yahweh. Now, the question would also be asked, you know, how can this, how can, what is this, some kind of magic water that uh, the woman drinks and it creates this problem physically uh, within her, uh, within her body? Well, it's not magical, but it is, it is something that at this point in time, and when we, God help us, when we get to Deuteronomy one of these days, we'll have this long list of blessings and cursings. And the greater, the greater instruction is that if you don't line up with the word of God, there is automatically a curse that comes upon you. Now, this is just the introduction of such a thing here, and it has to do with marital purity. So these three things at the very outset, okay, we're organized for war. We're organized administratively so that everybody knows who's in charge where and how. We're organized for worship. Everybody knows who's in charge of what with regard to the tabernacle. And everyone has his, all of the Levites have their appointed Responsibilities, and there can't be any argument about those things. And now, the, the personal lives of God's people, the personal lives with regard to their physical well-being, their, their social well-being, and their marital well-being, these things are given, I think, as much for a deterrence as anything else so that the people can know that this, this cannot be tolerated by Yahweh among his people as they march from where they are to the land of promise. God has separated them with, by giving his law, not just the Ten Commandments, but also uh, the, the rituals and, and, and the, the sacrificial system and so forth, God has separated them with what they can eat, what they can dress, uh, how clean they're to be kept, and what is acceptable even in their homes. You know, leprosy can invade a, a house. We saw that in Leviticus. Or, or in your clothing. All of these things have to be kept pure and clean before Yahweh. These are rules and regulations for the people of God because they are different from the rest of the world. And the rest of the world is going to have to see the glorious and wonderful power of Yahweh in the lives of his people. Now, 
being of the fallen race, naturally it's, you know, we talk about the law. We have 10 commandments that cover a very small space, for example, within the book of Exodus, repeated in Deuteronomy. Very small against the rest of the book of Exodus. The greater portion of Exodus that's given is given to teach man, God's people, how to deal with sin because God never assumed that his people could attain perfection in holiness. The, the Ten Commandments are just to show us perfection that we can never attain. And then the rest of it, the, 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 the sacrifices, the rituals, the tabernacle, the outfittings of the tabernacle, the priesthood, and so forth. All of those things are in place to help God's people deal under the instruction of Yahweh, deal appropriately with sin that will be in their lives. So there's a provision for all of that. Yet still as they start out, cleanness and separation from impurity is uppermost in the, in the, among the commands that Yahweh gives to his people to show that they are separate from the rest of the world. The world, the rest of the world doesn't have, well, they don't have a God. They have demons that make, them, make the people think they're gods, but they don't have the true and living God as their God. And they don't have the law that came from heaven to help us understand what the, what the definition of human perfection is and the truth that we cannot attain it and that we need the help of God for atonement and, and for justification. And we are expected to live in that humility uh, all the days of our lives. And God helps us in this by giving us his word and his instructions and so forth. And this shows the rest of the world how God has attended to the detail, the true living God has attended to the details of the lives of his people and the overall social condition of the nation which he has separated to himself. We're going to stop there and we'll have our prayer and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, we marvel at the perfection of your word and how you attend to all parts of our lives. Father, we're thankful that you have taught us what the importance of obedience really means. And even today, what it means in our lives as we seek with the power of the Holy Spirit, the help of the Holy Spirit, we seek to be obedient to Christ and his word. Bless us as we go through this life that we might be pleasing to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.